Would you turn, please, in your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Joshua, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I want to speak this morning on the subject, our heritage and our challenge. Our heritage and our challenge. Tonight, the Lord willing, we're going to have a great hour. I hope nobody will miss it, beginning at the training union hour. And uh, those announcements are in the bulletin. And then at 7.30, we're going to be recognizing with honor Dr. Clyde Gordon, who begins his 58th year as a gospel preacher. I hope you'll not miss that wonderful hour tonight. And will you pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning as we think about America. God help America. May we pray. Our Father, we would really like to sing with enthusiasm, God bless America. But I'm sure over in heaven, that would resound back the question, why should God bless America? when we've turned our back upon that one who created this nation. May God help us. We pray that revival would begin in our own hearts. That everyone within the sound of our voice today would have in his heart a desire for revival for this great nation. God grant that. And in this month of July, as we think about revival, and we think about the needs and the ingredients of, and all that would go in to make up revival, we pray that there will be somebody, maybe not even a majority, but one person who would be willing to say, God, use me to bring revival. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. The Lord said this to Joshua after Moses, the servant of God, was dead. And the people of the Lord had come to the Jordan River after 40 years of wilderness wandering. They were now to come into the land of Canaan. And God said to Joshua, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper wherever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, be thou, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Now I want the attention of all the boys and girls here today. You're old enough to look at me eyeball to eyeball. Don't gaze around the room, Stephen, Andrew. Look right here. Everybody. I want you to be able to tell what color my eyes are when I finish this morning. They may be red, flaming red. I'm greatly concerned about America. 
And the only way this nation can have revival is for every one of us to have revival. The nation Israel was God's nation in a special way. At Kadesh Barnea, God said, go in and possess the land. But they were afraid. Two men came back, Caleb and Joshua, and said, we're well able to do it. The ten others said, we cannot do it. Those men are giants, and it's their, their troubles in the land. We cannot overcome them. And they listened to that report. And for 40 long years, they wandered in the wilderness until all that generation was gone. And only Joshua and Caleb remained. And God even let Moses pass off the scene. And then God started over again with Joshua. And he said, now Joshua, you go in and don't be afraid. Now in a very real sense, America has stood in the train of Caleb and Joshua in the years gone by. Our forefathers, no longer to tolerate, able to tolerate the tyranny of the ancient kings and priests of the old country, left that nation and came at great peril and great sacrifice, crossing the Atlantic Ocean and building a network of colonies on the eastern hemisphere of this continent, a land dedicated to freedom and liberty. Freedom to worship, not freedom from worship. Freedom to honor God, not freedom from honoring God. Of course, there was written in, in those early documents, a safeguard that would keep any church, any organization from forcing its beliefs on anybody else. And that's the way it should be. But there was never dreamed of that there would come a time in America that we could no longer read the Word of God in school, nor mention his name. In the, United, in the U.S. News and, and uh, World Report recently, this last week, the July 4th issue, there was an article about bringing back religion to the schools. But it was a very cautious article. It pointed out that for many years now, religion, even the discussion of religion, has been banned from even the textbooks. Now many of us who grew up in the earlier years of America read about how this nation was founded by God-seekers. We read about the religious convictions of many of the leaders. In more recent years, all of that has been taken out of the textbooks. There's been a careful undoing of all the historical truths that relate to the building of this nation by God and by God-seekers. And so these group of educators said, somehow we are not telling the story accurately because religion did play a great part in the founding of America. But they said, we're, we have a problem. The American Civil Liberties Union came in and they said, we have a problem. Many of the teachers in America are of Christian background. And they'll be more familiar with Christianity and Judaism than they are with Muslim faith and the Eastern religions and so on. So, we're going to have a special training course. And every teacher that would teach anything about religion must go to this training course and learn how not to focus on Christianity. Can you imagine anything more absurd? Do you imagine the Muslims built America? The Eastern religion groups built America? 
The reason God has blessed this nation in such an unusual way so that peoples from all over the world want to come is because of our freedoms and our liberties and we have the privilege to worship as we want to, but the reason for that is because it is underwritten in the Word of God. In the summer of 1787, representatives met in Philadelphia to write the Constitution of the United States. After they'd struggled for several weeks and made little or no progress, 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin rose and addressed the troubled and disagreeing convention that was about to adjourn in confusion. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection, he said. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed in frequent instances a, super, a superintending providence in our favor. Have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing in our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning. The very purpose of the pilgrims in 1620 was to establish a government based on the Bible. The New England Charter signed by King James I confirmed this goal to advance the enlargement of Christian religion to the glory of God Almighty. Now those are documented facts from our past. In his inaugural address to the Congress, the first President of the United States, George Washington, stressed God's role in the birth of this republic. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. We ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven cannot be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of God and right and heaven. One of George Washington's early official acts was the first Thanksgiving proclamation. Abraham Lincoln said, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The concluding words of our national anthem summarize the fact that the United States of America was born out of a commitment to God and His principles. Blessed with victory and peace, May this heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. John Quincy Adams said, 
the first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention is the Bible. Abraham Lincoln said, all the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All things desirable to man are contained in the Bible. Woodrow Wilson said, the Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God and spiritual nature and need of men. It is the only guide of life which really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. Andrew Jackson said, go to the scriptures. The joyful promises it contain will be a balm to your troubles. And Calvin Coolidge said, the foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Did you get that? Calvin Coolidge, President Coolidge said, the foundations of America rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support these foundations if faith in these teachings of the Bible would cease to be practically universal in this country. And beloved, that's happened. We're in the throes of a great going away from God. George Washington, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, to name only a few, seem to see clearly the providence of God behind the events of their day. The nation did not unfold by accident or happenstance, but out of divine design. The settlement of America, timed as it was in the wake of the Reformation, assured it its Christian foundations. Most historians point to Kentucky's Logan County about 1799 when several Methodist and Presbyterian preachers joined efforts. Soon word of a great revival spread. Kentuckians came from miles around. The crowds grew and soon visitors had to camp out for one, two, or three nights. Men chopped down more trees to accommodate the crowds and arranged split log benches to create a church in the wilderness. And thus the great awakening in this section of America. Well, God has showered upon America 200 years of blessing. As she acknowledged God and obeyed her creator, God elevated her from infancy to a place of world leadership. He has allowed her to enjoy unprecedented wealth and freedom and influence. But now, America has spit in God's face. We're not just simply backsliding, we've turned our back. It isn't a matter of America looking to God and then living a careless life. It is that we have said, no God, we don't need you, and we've turned our back and gone the other way. God says, thou shalt not kill. Americans gave murder a new name and indifferently aborted 1,374,000 unborn babies last year. Many have tried to camouflage sin with a new terminology. God calls it drunkenness. We call it alcoholism, a social disease. God calls it sodomy. We call it homosexuality, gay rights, and alternate lifestyle. 
God calls it perversion. We call it pornography, adult entertainment. God calls it immorality. We call it a new morality. God calls it cheating. We call it abnormal social development. With the dissolving of absolutes, America's crime rate has spiraled until it now costs taxpayers $2 billion a year. A serious crime is committed every 3.5 seconds. One robbery every 83 seconds. One murder every 27 minutes. Drug addiction and alcohol are in great proportions as an epidemic. More than 500,000 heroin addicts live in the United States. 43 million Americans have experimented with marijuana. The United States now has more than 9 million alcoholics. Suicide is the second largest killer of teenagers. Teenage pregnancies, incest, sexual child abuse, abuse draw national attention. More than two million Americans a year contract gonorrhea. Pornographic magazines, more than 20 million a year crowd the newsstands. Video cassette stores now market the products of X-rated theaters. One out of every two marriages enters in a divorce. Some 1.3 million unmarried couples now live together according to the United States Census Bureau. The IRS has made abortion clinics charitable organizations therefore exempt from taxes. Now this is America. This is where we are. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. No nation can go on insulting God. No nation can go on sticking its tongue out at God or ignoring Him or running away from Him and expect His blessings. One of the greatest things that ever happened to America was World War II. With all of its bloodshed and all of its tyranny and all of its tragedy and all of its Hitlers and all of its Tojos, it sent America to her knees and the churches were filled and we pleaded with God to help America and God did it. And 10 years after the war, we turned our backs on God. Do we have it within us individually to come back to God? Somebody will say, well, there's always been sin. There have always been people who cursed God. There have always been agnostics and atheists. That's true. It has not been as blatant as it is today. It's not been as open as it is today, but there's always been sin. However, there's always been a nucleus of God's people called by His name. And God blessed. Let me give you a little insight of something I read the other day. Germany went down the drain with Adolf Hitler. They voted that regime in, not knowing what was happening. They killed six million Jews. They brought havoc all over Eastern Europe. They hurt Russia. They had a blitz on England. Their design was to take America. But God halted them. There was a praying nucleus who day and night went before God in prayer all over the world. Now listen. With all the tragedy going on in Germany, there was a nucleus in Germany. 
of praying Christians. They were not for Hitler. They were not for murdering the Jews. They were against it all. They had not opened their mouths when they could. They'd kept them shut, but they began to go toward heaven and bombard heaven, and God heard. Now listen, what happened? Germany went down in defeat. But did you know that out of that awful defeat and tragedy, there was a band of Christians who prayed for Germany, that God would help Germany? And today, even though it's divided, Germany has one of the best comebacks of any nation on earth. They've thrown off all that tyranny. And even though there's no great revival in Germany, they at least have a democracy. And the greater praying group were in West, what is now West Germany. Now, folks, I believe God will hear our prayers. I believe if God can find some men and women and boys and girls who are willing to say, I'm going to take things seriously. I'm not going to have a case or all, sirrah attitude, just coasting down the river on a Sunday afternoon, doing anything I want to. You see, we have rejected God's plans. I remember a few years ago when they started attacking what they called the blue laws. Well, I don't know whether blue laws are right or wrong. They've all been done away with today. The blue laws said that the stores had to be closed on Sunday. I'll tell you how to get the stores closed on Sunday. If Christians would not go shop for their clothes and their shoes and their groceries on Sunday. There are enough Christians in Bowling Green. When those shopping centers first began to open, some of us went to the managers and asked them to, to not do that. And they said, well, we'll just try it for a while, and if the people that go to your churches come and shop, we'll figure that they're not listening to their preachers. That's what happened. I'm not putting, trying to put my finger on anybody. I'm just simply saying... If we will listen to God's Word and honor God's Word and begin obeying the Word of God, turning from those things that would take us down in a somersault, turmoil, down to wasted life and down to defeat, God can still hear. God's hand is not shortened. His ear is not deaf. There can be revival. I'm not sure that America is any longer at a crossroads. I think we passed the crossroads. We're already under the judgment of God. All of the gross sin problems that we're calling sickness, and they, are, they do develop into sickness. For example, I have a lot of sympathy with people who have alcohol problems. But did you know that alcoholism is the only problem we have like it that is begun purposely. Nobody ever became an alcoholic who didn't take the first drink. Young people, if you will not take one drink, you'll never be an alcoholic. You may have an extreme personality, you may have an excessive personality, but you'll never be an alcoholic if you don't take the first drink. Little fella, watch me. Don't hit anybody with your arms, okay? 
if we will do what God said to do in our sex life, we'll not have to worry about AIDS and gonorrhea. The whole thing is God gave us some rules and some prohibitions and some guidelines that were good for us. And when we say, God, you get out of my life, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to do what you say, then we have to take the results of it. I'm very interested in the social workers. I appreciate them so much. <laughs> but they're working in a government situation that says they cannot inject anything moral into what they're doing. They cannot say this thing is morally wrong. It uh, may be harmful, may not be the best thing for you, but it's all situational. Maybe it'd be good for sometimes and not good other times and so on. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to what God says. And let's pray that God will bless America, will help America get back to God so God can bless us. Do you suppose if I take my gun out here and point at David, I say, God bless me as I shoot David, you think God's going to do that? I'd take this bottle up to my lips and I'd say, God bless America while I get drunk. God's going to bless America? I put these cigarettes in my lips and I'd say, God bless America while I put all this cigarette smoke out so they'll get lung cancer and all that. God's going to bless that? I want to tell you, God cannot bless when we violate his rules. And the only way we can ask God to bless America is for our own lives to get back to God in revival and re repentance and ask God to help us. And then we can say, God, help America. I don't know whether we want God to bless America in the situation we're in now. We need to say, God, help America. God, help us. But it all begins individually. And I wonder if there's somebody here today who would say, I want to be part of God's revival. I want God to use me. I want to yield my life to the Lord in such a way that God can take charge of me. And he can have his way with me. I'm not asking him about others, but me personally. God, help me. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek for my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Would you let God help you? Let's close this service by putting our head down on the bench in front of us. And for just a moment or two, let's confess some sins to God. And let's ask God to help us individually. And when we've gotten some things right, grudges out of the way, judgments that are wrong out of the way, we ask God to give us victory over certain habits and sins. I ask God to help me love my brother and sister, my mother and daddy, my sons and daughters. And then ask God to help me love the Lord God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And God, use me. 
And I realize it all begins at Calvary. What the Lord Jesus did on the cross is enough to cover my sins. And I want to invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Then God can begin to use each one of us when we say that to Him. Would you do it right where you are now? There's somebody here who needs to yield his life to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God, tabernacling in human flesh. He came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Would you believe upon the beautiful, precious name of Jesus today and confess him as your Lord? Our Father, we thank you for this great time when just in an informal way this morning we've come together to say thank you for America and God help America. Lord, we pray that someone in this room or within the sound of our voice today would open his heart to Jesus. This would be a day of victory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. May we stand, please. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. I want to ask you if you'll come to Jesus this morning just like you are. Would you do that? God help you to do it. Don't say no to Jesus. He said yes to the cross for you. There's somebody here today who needs to come and say, I've been saved this week and I want to let everybody know it. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I want to take my stand for him. Would you do that? While we begin to sing, will you step out for Christ? God help you to do it. I wish you